0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, New Books in Islamic Studies, a channel with the New Books Network. This is your co-host, Shahna Saqani. In today's episode, we speak with Justine Howe about the book she has just edited, The Routledge Handbook of Islam and Gender, published in 2020 with, well, Routledge. Justine Howe is Associate Professor of Religious Studies at Case Western Reserve University. She earned her PhD from Northwestern and an MA in Anthropology and Sociology of Religion from the University of Chicago Divinity School. Her specialties include contemporary Islam with an ethnographic focus on Muslim communities in the United States. Her first book was titled Suburban Islam which was published with Oxford in 2018, and she's currently working on another book which examines the role of Muslim Students Associations or the MSA in shaping American Islam. The Routledge Handbook of Islam and Gender, which includes an excellent introduction to Islam and gender, as well as to the volume and uh, 31 content chapters, encompasses a wide range of scholarship on many themes in the study of gender and Islam. These themes include women's lived experiences, female authority, sexuality, sex, fertility, and queerness. It's organized in seven parts, which are foundational texts in historical and contemporary contexts, Sex, sexuality, and gender difference, political and religious displacements, negotiating law, ethics, and normativity, vulnerability, care, and violence in Muslim families, and representation, commodification, and popular culture. Each section utilizes various approaches, theories, and methods in understanding Islam and examines key questions and debates in the specific area the chapter falls in. The book makes for an excellent introduction to Islam and gender. Its audience not limited to specialists and experts of Islam, but also undergraduates and graduate students of Islam, gender, religion, anthropology, history, sociology, to name just a few fields. It is an essential pedagogical tool for the classroom, as well as an essential reference for any researcher working on Islam. Here's my interview with Justine Howe. Hi, Justine. Thank you so much for being here with me to talk about your wonderful new handbook, Um, on Islam and gender, uh, which I think, as you know already, is becoming a big deal and um, just is an excellent, excellent book with some of the most important, um, most influential scholars of Islam writing for it. So thank you for for that uh, wonderful contribution to um, the Academy and for being here with me to talk about it.
1: Thank you so much for your kind words about the handbook and also for having me today. Sure.
0: So it's our tradition on the New Books podcast to ask our guests to tell us about their intellectual journey and how they got here. Could you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. So I think for the purposes of this, I'll talk a little bit about how I got interested in the study of Islam and gender, because I think it actually came to me rather late, perhaps, compared to others in the academy, but In terms of this particular handbook and this publication, it really arose out of my experience teaching. And I have been in the current position that I hold since 2013. And um, in that capacity, I teach a broad range of classes on Islamic studies. And one of the courses that I have developed over the last few years has been in in Islam and gender. And so many of my research interests in the area have really come out of that teaching experience. And part of the impetus between, behind this handbook was to develop a resource that could be used in the classroom and that could really um, appeal to undergraduates and also hopefully, of course, um, spark interest among those who are more advanced researchers too, but but really to sort of think about ways that we can make the study of Islam and gender more accessible and really an integral part of teaching about Islam and Muslim communities in our classrooms.
0: Excellent. My next question was going to be precisely on how the book itself came about. So thank you for that. it's, I mean, I think of the book really as an intervention. Um, I think especially given the status of gender in, in so much of Islamic studies scholarship, it, this is a remarkable contribution. Um, it's very thorough and probably as comprehensive, I think, as one volume can be. Um, and again, such an excellent group of scholars, including giants from the field um, and also emerging scholars. So gender... Um, and, gen- and the gendered sort of a, a, a list of the scholars, right? The, the, I feel like there's a lot of the gender becomes important to the list of contributors as well. So, can you tell us about the process, your process of solic- soliciting con- contributors? Um, how long the process? How long the whole book took? Uh, what that process was like?
1: Absolutely. So, the other uh, impetus for the for the handbook came out of my work with the uh, Islam gender and women unit at the American Academy of Religion, which part of how I thought about this field and its contributions, not just to Islamic studies, but also to the study of religion more broadly has really informed the way that I went about compiling the list of contributors, the sorts of topics. and the range of methodological approaches, theoretical kinds of interventions that I thought were important to include, and that would really benefit other other people. So I would say that that community of scholars at the AAR has been my touchstone for thinking about this project um, as a religious studies person, and so that's that's the sort of that I think is reflected in the broad range of. Theoretical and methodological approaches in the contributors. That was something that was really important to me. I think it's one of the best parts of religious studies, the ways that we can incorporate people and scholars from a really wide range of perspectives. And so I think that that's part of what is reflected in the contributors who are historians and who are anthropologists and who are um, more textual scholars, um, scholars who would consider themselves to be more um, empirical or descriptive in their approaches, and then those who consider themselves to work more on normative normative questions. So that was part of what informed my, my sensibility about sort of how I wanted to think about the scope of the volume. And then the other thing, and you already mentioned it, was around including scholars that have been well-established in the field of Islam and gender, and those, and then including voices from scholars that are more emerging or, or in earlier parts of their careers. And so that I wanted to give a sense of where the field has been and the sort of core kinds of concepts and questions and debates. So I wanted to give a sense of that. And then I also wanted to give a sense of where we were, where we're headed in the field and sort of think about future directions. And I appreciate the, the you're saying that it's about as comprehensive as a volume can be, but I think that any editor of one of these handbooks would say that kind of striving for comprehensiveness is um, perhaps not the goal or it's, it's a really difficult thing to um, even attempt to conceive of what that means, um, and so, um, so I, I, but I do think that it 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 does represent
0: some of the most important directions
1: that the field has taken and some of its most important contributions.
0: Oh, for sure, absolutely. And how long the, did the process take? When did you uh, begin soliciting? When do, when when did the idea come to you? And.
1: The idea you know really length. got going in 2017. I think that's when I submitted the proposal for the for the project. And then I actually did not, um, I, I, as I asked contributors, um, I sort of built the table of contents as I went. So there was a kind of staggering of how I went about asking folks to contribute just as a way of kind of At every stage, especially because I was editing the volume on my own to kind of think about, okay, I've asked this group of people, this is who have agreed, and then what are the sort of, what are the other topics and geographic regions or methodologies do I need more of or that would complement other chapters? So that's another thing that I wanted to say about how I went about it. So. Um, I wanted to give some sense of the breadth of the different types of questions that people are asking about gender and the different implications in Muslim communities and in texts. But I also wanted to give a sense of the depth. So for those, of, for those um, listeners who pick up the, the table of contents, you'll notice that there, are, there is also overlap um, among some of the chapters. And that's because there are certain topics in the field that have really been very generative for thinking about the role of gender in relationship to um, to Muslim texts and context. And so I also wanted it to be a place where readers could think about how there have formed conversations around kind of a core set of a core set of topics.
0: Also, a quick side note: um, I'm so grateful, and I so much appreciate that you use the word "generative" and not "seminal," for example. Um, I saw it in the book as well, and I, I, I was just it, it excited me so much. So, thank you for that too. I think the word "seminal" is very problematic.
1: Well, um, you can so you, you can thank yeah you can thank Keisha Ali for that because I think yeah. <laughs> she has certainly um, uh, provided alternative. Words that we yes. can use, especially for those of us who work on gender.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so I and let's let's talk about the word gender itself. I thought your discussion um, of ge- of the word gender of what it means um, in your introduction was very helpful, uh, which is a very excellent intro as well. I think it make it's very very thorough. It it provides an excellent overview of what the study of Islam and gender has been like. Um, so I thought that would be especially useful for somebody who is just beginning to learn about Islam and gender or who's looking for an overview. I have, I found that very helpful as well. Um, even as a scholar of Islam and gender myself, I was writing a chapter, I was just telling you and I, that, that introduction was very helpful to me. Um, so thank you for that. So can you tell our um, audiences here what we mean by the word gender and how the, the volume meets this definition and understanding of gender?
1: For all of the contributors, whether they're looking at a pre-modern context, you know, an early Islamic context, or a medieval one, or a modern context, um, gender is a central organizing principle, um, a framework that is relevant and has effects and consequences for all people, right? whether you're um, female or male or non-binary, but when we talk about gender, we're talking about ways that bodies, in particular, are categorized and thought about, um, the ways that those um, bodies are placed in frameworks around things like certain certain bodily characteristics or features, but also emotional traits, um, different kinds of action or practice, um, different kinds of roles and responsibilities, and crucially also about the distribution of social power. Um, In this handbook also gender is central to many chapters in terms of describing how Muslims think and practice, and understand their relationship to the divine. Um, and so that is, those, those different elements um, can, I would say, interrelate to one another differently depending on the social context. So I would say one thing about the approach to gender that I lay out in the introduction, it is heavily indebted to the fact that I am an ethnographer and Someone who works on modern communities, and um, and so I am very much interested, for example, in the ways that people do gender. Right, that the other component here is that gender is not some sort of static or um, biological aspect of one's identity or self, but rather something that is done and performed and negotiated and um, and that's true whether we want to talk about pre-modern or modern societies. The key difference being is, is that there are there are really different conceptions of what the self is, of course, and different conception and and um, of course our modern notions of identity, for example, are not present in um, pre-modern texts, for example. But nevertheless, we do see gender as being um, as being operating and being something that is undergo constantly undergoing um discussion. And um and so that's something that I think despite the broad range of theoretical and methodological approaches of the chapters, all of those emphasize the side of process aspect of gender.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why this matters at all. I have a twofold question. So first, um what can you tell us about the status of gender in the study of Islam? And second, what does a focus? and you can answer these questions in, in in just one answer. that's fine too. But what does a focus or an interest in gender offer Islam scholars or scholars of Islam who don't do gender or don't see it as relevant to their work or specialty?
1: I think on the one hand, the study of gender has become more prominent in this in Islamic studies, at least for my from my perspective, I think that, for example, the creation of the, um, the unit at the American Academy of Religion, I think is a really important site where this is happening in more established channels and within academic circles. Um, I think that there is, has also been um, rising kinds of awareness around gender diversity um, within the academy itself and the need to be more inclusive of different voices that are often marginalized. Um, I think that within academia, that's certainly a place where we see that happening. But on the other hand, I think that there still does remain a perception that the study of gender is only pertains to women, and is therefore a kind of niche area of study. Um, and I think that that is problematic because, as I said earlier, when we look at gender as a perspective, right, as a lens, we can. Understand the ways that it opens up a wide range of questions related to the study of Islam, um, in terms of things like religious authority or textual interpretation. Um, it can open up. It opens up a vital perspective on colonialism um, and the study of colonialism. I think has been one of those places where we see the not just understanding how these major social processes came to affect women, but that in fact they were gendered um, and had gendered implications um, for men as well. So I think those are, I think that that is, um, I I think that we still have a lot of work to do in sort of unpacking that often, that assumption that when we're talking about gender, we're just talking about, we're just talking about women. Um, So that's where I would say we still have some um, some work to do, and I think that in terms of the importance of studying gender um, I, I think that it is relevant not just the and and it's not just relevant because if you exclude women or non binary voices, you're excluding you know fifty percent of a popul- given given population, but also in not considering gender. Um, where you're it, there's the potential for not seeing the breadth of what's happening in any particular historical moment, right? that that it just opens up. For me, gender is a way of opening up conversation um and seeing crucial dimensions of things like um, religious power and authority, um different manifestations of. Um, worship and, and um, ritual practice. So I, th- I think there's basically no area that we that it wouldn't have a kind of potential um, importance.
0: Right. And as you mentioned, um, this is a very methodological, methodologically diverse volume, which I think personally is a statement. Um, given the constant debate about that we hear in Islamic studies about valid and invalid approaches to studying Islam, um, so can you you, you address this briefly earlier? Can you tell us uh, more specifically about these various approaches that your authors take? So, if they're using texts, for example, what kinds of texts are they using? If they're addressing, if they're dealing with specific geographical locations, what are some um, specific locations that that are taken up in this volume?
1: Absolutely. So, in terms of in terms of texts, um, there are some you know what we would consider to be fairly, uh, of course, the sort of foundational texts that are important for the study of Islam. So, chapters related to the Quran. Um, there are numerous texts that take up issues concerning hadith, um, and then I think there are some really interesting chapters that look at texts that are um, sometimes not necessarily um, studied. So I think Carolyn Baugh's chapter on different legal genres is really important. Um, I, in addition to texts, and and of course, within the study of of Islam, and within the study of Islam and gender there, the study of law has been really important. Um, So Fatima Siddharth's chapter, looking at different approaches to um to Islamic law and um, Rosemary Admiral's work, which looks at fatwas um, and other legal literature in the in, um, in the Maghreb. like these are these are different places where we see the kind of diversity of texts as well that are relevant. Um, and then, in terms of different social contexts, you know, I think that one challenge is always around, the geographic scope of a volume like this. Um, I think it's difficult to truly, in something that is thematic to really talk about the kind of geographic scope, but I did try to include a wide variety of contexts, right? Um, from chapters that are looking at um, Iran to chapters in Muslim um, Contexts in the United States and in France, um, in Africa, um, and so, and then also looking at at various kind of transnational frameworks, such as human rights um, human rights frameworks. So those have been those the the kind of scope is is also large in terms of in terms of the geography. I'm trying to kind of map out. How the configurations of Islam and gender might vary depending on where you are in the world, um, and how those very, the very important role that the particular social location plays in how gender roles are understood, or what the you know what the terms are, what the how people understand themselves. Um, I think that's something that that the chapters speak to one another about. Mm-hmm.
0: So I noticed something here. Um, most themes related to gender are covered with at least one chapter ex- explicitly, sometimes more than one, such as women, sex, sexuality, fertility, queerness, etc. Um, and, and and you're very clear about this. You tell us precisely that the you know the, there is a, there is a focus on women. Um, or the lived realities of people as well, but not just women, right? Queerness is also very much um, acknowledged and there's chapters dedicated to it. But I don't see a chapter on masculinity. And while masculinity appears throughout as a theme and it seems integral and it is integral to so many of the chapters, um, there's no individual chapter on it, like in Islamic masculinities or Muslim masculinities chapter And I'm in, that I'm imagining. Was this intentional?
1: I wouldn't say that it was intentional per se. I think that there are certain concepts that like masculinity, I think even the concept of queerness would be another one like this, um, that aren't devoted or there isn't a chapter that's devoted to kind of unpacking that concept per se. Um, And which I think actually would be extremely valuable um, for such chapters to be written um i, I think that the where i erred on this where I, the the side that i came down on in terms of priority was chapters that could integrate these concepts into their content as analytical frameworks in a way that didn't sort of cordon them off but rather say okay in this particular social context we can see how these how these concepts are are working, right? Um, mm-hmm. and so they sort of put them to work in that way. Um, and so that's that's I, I would say how it kind of shook out in the way that the chapters came together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I did tell the contributors that what I wanted what I wanted was the sort of, the emphasis to be on seeing how whatever context they were exploring to sort of use the frameworks of gender studies, of gender theory in the ways that they saw fit, right? Um, yeah. And so I think that comes out differently depending on the kinds of chapter.
0: Yeah, And I mean, the the chapters that do address it and uh, speak in masculinity do it so powerfully Um, That when I read it, I'm thinking of it as, oh, this is sort of the kind of volume where, um, I mean, I've I've read volumes that don't have a chapter on gender, for example, uh, an Islam, you know, handbook or something. But gender is still seen as integral to pretty much every single chapter and it is a recurring theme in each chapter. So I thought this was this is how I read it initially. But your response is very helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you how do you envision this book to be used pedagogically? It's and and some of the chapters make it very clear that they're you know they're writing this for, they're hoping that this would be used for undergraduate audiences. Um, can you can you tell our audience about what how you you know would would how you envision this to be used pedagogically?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I think that the my hope is that it would be helpful. As as I mentioned before, in my own classroom, I I wanted a resource like this one, and it was behind my, my decision to pursue this project, I think that I would hope the, depending on the kind of class that was being taught, whether, you know, some of us do teach Islam and gender classes, but, and I think those are becoming common, but my, my hunch is that actually within a lot of college classrooms, you're looking at more um, general kinds of inquiry, right, um, and so it would be my, my hope, my aspiration for a volume like this that was written with an undergraduate audience in mind that you could use it in a class that is an introduction to Islam class, right, or a class um, that is dedicated to contemporary religious practice or, um, you know, kind of, com- or a possibly a comparative class. Um, on women and religion, right, or um, classes that deal with family, right, with, with themes of family or gender, but um, maybe religion is just one component of the class, right? Um, so I, I would hope that it would be appealing to um, a broad range of classes. And then the second thing I, I thought about in terms of what I hoped the chapters would do is that it would give non-specialists, like undergraduates, um, a kind of entry point into a wide range of topics for, you know, research projects or other kinds of things that they wanted to sort of dig deeper into particular topics, but that it could be a kind of place where, you know, if you're interested in a particular kind of practice, if you're interested in the theme of female religion, you know, female religious authority, right, that you could look at different chapters in this volume as a kind of starting point for that kind of yeah. inquiry.
0: That's excellent. Um, now you, I know that you didn't, you, you, said that you wouldn't, um, that an editor doesn't look for comprehensiveness in a volume like this, but I'm still thinking of it as, as humanly comprehensive as possible. Um, so, but you, but still you can't have covered everything, um, or at least not the way that you wanted to. What might you do differently in a, in a second edition or a volume two of something like this?
1: Well, I think that while um, queerness, queer theory is a prominent theme and is certainly a framework that a lot of the authors use, um, there isn't as much about or that take up non-binary or queer voices directly. Um, And so that, I think, is something that I would have wanted more of. Um, or that I could see as being something that would add um, would add something. I think that I also, I mean, this is a volume about religion. Um, I think something a question that I've become much more interested in over the last couple of years as I was working on this volume is thinking more capaciously about areas of. Um, sort of artistic production or or other kinds of cultural um, aspects that might give us a window into a broader set of gendered frameworks and concepts, right? So I think that as the field of Islam and gender expands, we also need to think about expanding our archives um, as well. So I, I think there are ways that 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 could be um, that that could be done if I were to like imagine a future um, a future volume and then you know I th- I think that this question of geographic spread is also always an important one um, and so I, I think that in terms of for example chapters on China or on Southeast Asia more you know giving more coverage to certain geographic areas I I think is also important and. Um, again, I, I, I think that there are always choices around what you're going to prioritize in terms of the kind of scope. But um, but those are just some areas that I would that I would think about.
0: Mm. And I imagine that you faced a lot of challenges or obstacles uh, in putting this together. Would you talk about some of those?
1: Well, I had a really wonderful set of contributors who made my job as editor, I would say, fairly easy. On the whole, um, they were super enthusiastic and really encouraging for me um, and of the project. And kind of they were the ones that kept me going at key moments in terms of thinking about the impact that this handbook could have and the fact that mm-hmm. they want, you know, they wanted to see it through. And and so that, that really depends on the contributors to make something like this happen. Um, you know, the main impediment was that this was getting finished when the covid nineteen pandemic really took hold. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean by the the contributors themselves sort of carrying this forward because, you know, they felt like it was something that they wanted to wanted to finish. And I felt like this was a really important collective work um, that I wanted to also see through. And so, Yeah, but that's also, I mean, I I think we have all struggled with finishing, with finishing projects and trying to, you know, do the editing and writing went under really onerous circumstances over the last few months. And and so when I think about finishing it, it's also the kind of um, challenges of doing this kind of work in Mm -hmm. this current situation.
0: Oh, well, it's great to hear that you had excellent um, contributors who were very helpful. Do you have any advice then for others who are interested in putting together such an edited volume? Um, what, might they, what might they expect? What are some tips that you might offer them?
1: I think that it is a very unpredictable process. I mean, any book project is unpredictable because we just are living our lives over many years during the course of this sort of thing. And so we have to expect that things are not going to go <laughs> as planned. Um, I think that there are a lot of, um, there. there's some unpredictability around um, who is going to say yes and who is not going to say yes. And so sometimes those can be, um, it, it can be a sort of trial and error process, trying to get the whole kind of thing as, to be uh, coherent, like, what the picture of coherence is going to look like, that I think um, is both a challenge, but also, for me at least, became the place where I felt like it was the most intellectually rewarding was to sort of think about how these different pieces fit together and to see that, like, my work was not, here was not necessarily just to be sending emails reminding about deadlines, but rather to be thinking about how these chapters work together and what they might say together as well. So that was, that's a kind of exciting part about it. Um, You know, I think a project like this, you know, I, it does take a fair amount of time. And the way it worked for me was that when I took on this project, I was sort of in between my own book projects. So it it gave me something to work on that was, um, it was at a good point. And I, I would, I guess my piece of advice would be strategic around when and why you would be sort of taking up a project like this. Um, and because it, it it is, you know, it is a significant sort of
0: undertaking. Right. And you were the sole editor of this whole volume, Right.
1: Right. So, I guess my other um, piece of advice would to get to possibly to get a (laughs) co-editor.
0: Okay. Uh, Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close?
1: I I guess I would just say that I want the handbook more than anything else to inspire people to get involved in this field. Um, I think that the Promise is around not just the really exciting intellectual questions and problems that each of the chapters take up. But for me, working on this project made me really appreciative of the kind of community, the sort of circle of scholars. Um, I was proud to be a part of it. And I think that it is a place where there are, plenty of openings and opportunities for people to join in and so many areas that are left to explore. Um, and so for me, the, the I hope that it, on the one hand, shows where the field has been, but also those sort of openings for people.
0: Mm. And as we close, we like to ask our authors to tell us about any work they're doing right now that we can look forward to in the near future, inshallah.
1: Yes. Well, now that I'm I'm done with this, I suppose I have to now be back working on my <laughs> my own <laughs> book project. So um, the main thing I'm working on right now is a history of the Muslim Students Association um, from its founding in the early 1960s to the present. And so I'm looking at a series of campus case studies to explore the ways that American universities have served as important sites for the development of Islam in America.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Justine. This was an absolute pleasure, and I'm grateful that you were here to talk about the book with us.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: All right. That was my interview with Justine Howe about the Rutledge Handbook of Islam and Gender, published in 2020. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Have a happy feminist holidays.